The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. A positive Talk Radio. You know, Richard, I was thinking just then that, you know, I've got that montage of people on the front. And this is your third time here. So pretty soon I'm going to have to put you on that montage of being like a regular guest that's been here a lot. So this is we're talking with uh, uh, Richard Blank. He is a the CEO of the Costa Rica um, call center in obviously, you know, like Costa Rica. <laughs> and uh, he's here uh, because we have such a really nice time talking about management and management theory and how to take care of employees and and jukeboxes and pinball machines and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's great to have you back, Richard. Nice to see you again. Third time's a charm, Kevin. So happy to be once again a reoccurring guest on your amazing podcast. Well, you know, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again, probably because uh, we've you know we've got so much to talk about that that. And we get into it and we just keep on going and, and we never run out of something to talk about. So it's, it's really good. And if, so if you are a, you know, one of the things that um, I'd love to touch on today is if you are, if you have a dream, if you have a thought about you want to create a business um, and you got to start from zero, uh, what are some of the things that you do? So, it, it, because that's what exactly what you did in Costa Rica. So it'd be fun. It'd be fun to talk about that and the, and uh, some of the pitfalls and problems of of starting your own business and trying to make it trying to make it go and work and and that kind of thing. So can can we talk about that a bit? Sure, of course. It's almost like when I pick up my suit during the day, I start with the tie and work backwards. And so when I was choosing my company, I thought of a couple things. The first thing is to keep the name as simple as possible. And I was brazen enough to call it Costa Rica's call center, just putting an apostrophe S in there. And so uh, that's the first thing for just SEO purposes, easy to remember. But then second, since I'm a little artistic here, I like to play with plasticine clay. So I was really trying to find out what I was going to do in regards to my company logo. So I really wanted to start with the image on where we were going with that. And I'm an old school cat. I love Art Deco in the golden age and those sort of years. So I chose Broadway font as my CCC letters and my outside building was made as an Art Deco building with neon marquee. So it looks like an old classic theater. And a lot of our imagery is from the old posters from the golden age in the twenties when they used to do that sort of imagery. So um, our mascot or our actual image is a Josefina it's an old school, classy woman from the 1920s that is receiving the call to kind of let them know we're doing it old school style, the way that we were raised, and that we have the patience and the sincerity to walk through phone calls. It's not today where it's a grind and a burnout. And 
you know, I just really just wanted to start with the with the imagery and just letting people know it's just not purely technology, that there's some sort of color and flair to what we're doing here because we are artists of speech. And I want people once again to appreciate this sort of relationship building that we do. How long did it take you to think all that stuff up? Because is that part of your growing up that you were thinking that, that, that this is how I would like to, if I was to ever start a company, this is the kind of the theme and the, how I'd like it to look and, and that kind of stuff. Or did you make this up as you went along? Cause that's, it's really involved and it's really is, it's, it's not happenstance that everything turned out the way it did for you. It's because you planned it. Well, being in my friend's center for four years, I got to see the effectiveness of their marketing and their branding. And then in Costa Rica, we have hundreds of call centers. So besides the big boys, I was kind of looking at the names and the strategies of the other ones. And people try to sound so complicated and make their names too uh, unique. And what it does is you might not be able to remember it. I mean, some of the easiest things, as I mentioned, are the simplest things, uh, almost like eat at Joe's. And so I kind of <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, to keep it simple, to focus on when people are scrolling through Facebook, YouTube, or the internet, could my imagery without certain words where you can't really see or you need to click on it to look at the small print, could my image stand out amongst others? And most of the call center images are about phone calls or headsets or somebody sitting in long rows and cubicles making their calls. I, I wanted to switch that a little bit. As I mentioned before, put in a little more color and to make it stand out a little bit more so it's more of an eye catcher. So if you're looking at 10 different black and white gray advertisements, the one that has all of the colors in the crayon box, you might look at that first and click on it. And also we're a, we're a small niche mom and pop under 300 seat center. So instead of looking at these tens of thousands of large areas, you're, you're dealing with the owner, one that walks the rows, knows the names. It's, it really is a unique company culture that we've created here, which still has all of the infrastructure and work that a call center does. But there is a special sauce here, and a lot of it has to do with empathy and the art of speech and building people's skill sets. And I'm not looking to grind you out so you quit and hate this industry. I want you to thrive like I did and maybe get it to the next level where eventually you start your business or, or become more successful when making and receiving phone calls. I got to ask you, if there are hundreds of call centers in Costa Rica, how in the world did you end up as the Costa Rica call center? Well, we're very competitive in regards to our salary and benefits. My location is key because I am downtown compared to the highways or the free trade zones in the industrial parks, which are somewhat difficult to get to. We're very selective of the campaigns that come in, so I'm not compromising ethics or values so people will stay with me. And also, a lot of agents like to make a name for themselves. But they well, want but, to feel a place where they have their dignity. And so it's very easy for me just by showing that sort of compassion to be able to land some of the best talent in this country. Because, um, you know, once again, Amazon has tens of thousands. They're huge here. And unfortunately, Jeff Bezos, as much as of a genius that he is, there's, it would be almost impossible for him to meet every single agent. Well, me, it's, it's very important for me to know somebody's name, to break bread with them, play some pinball with them, and, and to uh, 
invest in their growth. Not saying one's better than the other, but me personally, I would gravitate towards a place that I could once again, build more momentum and have more opportunities to grow. Well, exactly. But it seems to, because there were lots of call centers there before you started your business. I was surprised that the name was still available. Well, legally, I couldn't, there, there were certain things I needed to speak to my attorney on. But <laughs> that apostrophe S was just enough to get me over that, that goal line and score that touchdown because I was thinking of a lot of different things. But I do own about 80 URLs that are amazing in regards to, for an example, outsourcing to Costa Rica, you know, Spanish speaking call center, things like that will redirect to my site. And so I've, I've been very fortunate to get some very heavy meta tag words that I put into a certain URL that will send me back traffic. But um, it, once again, I can't compete against companies that have much deeper pockets than me and more locations and all the bells and the whistles regarding their advertisement dollars. And it costs much more money to bring on somebody new than to retain someone. So for me, it was much more of a financial interest to retain the agents that we put all this time and attention into so they can continue working with us. It's, but that's okay. There's always the David and Goliath. There will always be, they, there's only one Rolling Stones. We can still have an amazing band. Sometimes you just can't be number one, but you can still tour and be very successful. My dad even gave me the best advice. He goes, son, if you just get uh, one tenth of 1%, you'll be a millionaire. So I, I don't really need to capture the entire market. I just need to carve out a little bit of what I do well and it's enabled me to stay in business for the last 15 years in a very competitive industry. And yes, it is a very competitive industry and you've done, and you've done well, and you've, you've captured one of the, the key components, which is training is expensive. Turnover is killer. Yes. Um, and if you can keep good people and can enhance their training and continue, continue to move them along rather than having to restart the wheel every time somebody quits and then you have to bring somebody in. And I've always maintained that if you have a good, a key employee employee quit, and you tell me if this works in your industry, when, when a key employee quits, I, I tell, used to tell my managers that it's going to take us up to five hires to replace that employee. Sometimes, but I've also, you know, dropped that zero and got with the hero, as Vanilla Ice once said. And it's interesting, if someone's a fading flower, if they don't want to be here anymore and they become a cancer, it's better to cut and to build anew. And oh, there's nothing sure. wrong with bringing somebody in that could be molded, that may not have bad habits. And, and I can um, onboard and get somebody up to speed very well. And, and think about it like this. This individual might just become complacent. They could be a top producer, but they're getting used to the job. Bringing in some fresh blood, you never know. They could be people that just skip college and go right to the pros. So <laughs> I, I just take it on a case-by-case -case basis. If they're a, a, a specialist in the IT department, or we're doing something in a language or, or a certain skill set, sure, that would take time to build it back up. But, but most of these positions, Kevin, they, they could easily be filled in less than a week, sometimes even less, less than one day. I could have somebody up and running before lunch. And as long as I can build momentum and give them the sort of support 
and the attention that they deserve. There's no reason why they would feel comfortable here, but I'm hoping to at least get two things from them, Kevin, at least a two weeks notice. And if anything, give me an exit interview, be straight with me. What did we do that made you feel this way? Was there a miscommunication on your end or our end? And also what is the competition doing in order to earn your time and attention? And if it's on money, I, I completely understand that there's only so many margins you have and, and so much money to go around. But if it's on merit, that is something that I, I, I take much more, uh, hold that more dear because I am accountable for everything. Even if I wasn't there that day, the buck does stop with me and it is my name on these contracts. And so if somebody happens to leave, at least there should have been a chance to prevent it instead of trying mm -hmm. to cure it. And if somebody is willing, Kevin, to just be at that stage where it's the last straw or, or they're breaking down that day, they never gave us the chance to work with them prior to that last point. It should have never gotten to that stage. There should have been five layers before that where I could have calmed someone down, taken five minutes for a coffee break, or just pulling someone off the floor and allowing them to vent so maybe we can understand exactly what's happening in and outside of the office, which may be affecting this current employee's decisions. Well, you know, and I don't know if it happens in Costa Rica, but sometimes here you're, you're very good employees. Uh, I was in the restaurant business. So my, my, my best employees were very visible and they were out there and they were, they were talking to the clientele and, and so forth. So they were, they were very visible and the best ones would get um, would get stalked by other establishments that uh, were interested in procuring their services because of their personality or what they did and how how what their what their clientele was and that kind of stuff and those sorts of things you can't you have to be very on top of because you can't some of it you can't prevent if it's a if they're going to a like uh, if you're a, a, a ham and egger like like you're at a Denny's and and somebody that they can make triple the tips at uh, comes knocking on their door you can't you can't prevent that but uh, but you the, the communication's got to continue and you got to and especially with your key employees you got to keep continuing so that you have a real good relationship with them I agree with that with you well, I, I agree with ethics me today you tomorrow it's the same labor pool we need to earn that time but I, I don't like if somebody comes into this call center and if they don't like my environment or have other different plans, try to recruit from within. That's just wrong. You, you can't really do things like that. I mean, once again, if you put an ad out there, all fair is love and war. But, but don't send a spy or somebody into my office to start ripping out five or six seats in an account to bring them over to Amazon. It's, you know, there's that sort of mutual respect that the CEOs have here and the human resources director. I mean, sometimes things fall through the cracks and, and it's very rare that if not never, that they will send somebody to specifically steal people out of my center. So um, it just comes around. It's, it's part of the business. We, you and I, restaurant business, call center business, imagine that sort of attrition and jumping. People oh, leave yeah. all the time. And so as long as you and I know that we did the best that we could and treated them with all the resources and with the respect, then, then I can live with that, Kevin. I just need to maybe make that weird phone call to my client and let them know something happens and then immediately find a solution for them. Exactly. 
Exactly. So do you anticipate your uh, call center? Are you going to keep it about 300 seats? Are you going to grow it? What do you, what, what is your long-term plan? I'll grow it as large as it can go. And as long as it grows, then I'll be promoting more people to oversee others. And if I can continue to make it grow, then that means that you and I are feeding more families. Exactly. And that's just the way I look at it. And Maybe it happens a couple different ways. I do get the white glove treatment every now and again. Sometimes people would expect uh, different types of conditions, but in my opinion, it may not be necessary to rent the most expensive place in town while the people are still working virtually or just over a phone. It's not like it's an on-site store and you're selling Rolexes or Rolls Royces. This is a call center. As long as it's clean and it's working, and they are comfortable. I think any environment when you're working within a budget and being financially responsible, you could use that money for other things. And so that's just one thing. And, and another thing is that it's about scalability. In Costa Rica, we only have a certain amount of labor pool and more companies are coming here and Amazon continues to grow. So in order for me to scale, I may need to once again bring in people without call center experience, but have a college education, other work type of experience, and definitely being bilingual, which bears the mark of higher education. So I might have to sprinkle in a couple all-stars, but then a few rookies if we're looking to build a team of 20. And as long as my client is aware of that and is willing to work with me in those sort of aspects and respect, and then we will be able to continue to grow this company. So I got to ask you, but you, you mentioned Amazon a couple of times. Why do, what do they do out of their call center? What, I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with what, what's our business model. What do they do? Well, they're, as you know, the largest, but this is what they do in order for me to have this natural attrition. They, they're 24 seven and they have so many people so they can be more uh, adjusting towards a university schedule. Since they have thousands, there's a very good chance your boyfriend or girlfriend or best friend is working there. You might leave because of that. They offer very, very large referral bonuses for people that recruit for them with their networks. And also it might be closer to their home. They have multiple locations. So somebody could be saving a ton of time by going there. What's the reputation of Amazon? It's an incredible company. I mean, it's stable. They're huge. But on the flip side, you know, you might not get promoted as fast as you would somewhere else. You can lose yourself amongst the thousands of agents. A lot of people feel like sometimes a number or they don't have that sort of uh, dignity because they're not known as well as other companies. But, um, you know, I I'm OK with that. As I say before, what they're assisting me is that they're hiring and training so many people. So if there is some sort of. Uh, disruption or people do leave Amazon, they can come to other companies with that sort of experience and background. So as I say, we all train and we all share, but Amazon is on every billboard, every bus, every radio and television commercial. And they literally are everywhere recruiting as hard as they can to try to keep up with the demand and growth in Costa Rica as well. So obviously they're snatching up a lot of the level one support. Well, they gotta they gotta feed the beast. So and it is a beast. They need and a constant supply of people. You know, it's so cool though. They're everywhere in the world, but they consider the Costa Rican agents to be some of the top agents for customer support. So I, I use that as a, as a metal for our 
uniform, even though it's not me, it's still somebody on the Costa Rica team that is showing the world that we're very capable. Well, there's got to be a reason why Costa Rica has got so many call centers. Is is it is it the culture of the of the people? Is it the educational system that they have? Um, they they operate differently than a lot of other uh, countries that are in that geographical area, don't they? What a very intelligent question. Well, this is a democratic society, and the, and the North American market and the government has a very strong presence here. There is no army, and so they put the 90, uh, they, there's a 95% literacy rate. They put all of their money back into education. And our infrastructure here is second to none. It's safe here. It can work here. We have the labor pool here, English, Spanish skills, proxemics to the United States, a direct flight to get down here. Mountain time zone. A lot of people have lived in the United States, have family in the United States, no uh, expatriates like myself living in Costa Rica. So they're attuned to the North American market. They, the odds are in our favor near shore compared to some of the call centers offshore in Philippine, India, and the Middle East, which once again have their skills and they're extremely competitive in regards to price. But for some odd reason, Costa Rica seemed to be worth our cost for that little bit more, for that extra concierge service that people are looking for. So they, they don't have a military. No military, but a police force. Uh -huh. Yeah. So now, pardon me, because I'm a little challenged geographically. What are, what are some of the countries that border them? We are north of Panama, south of Nicaragua. And once again, we're smack dab right here in Central America. We have a Pacific and a Caribbean side. We have tons of volcanoes and valleys. And it's just our ecotourism in regards to the farming, textile exportation. I mean, there's just so much stuff that's going on here where we're very self-sufficient. So in regards to COVID, as much as it affected prices, especially now in regards to uh, inflation, yeah, prices are going up a little bit here, but you know, the cost of living still about a third and our farmer's market has the freshest produce, vegetables, fruits, seafood, poultry. And so it's very affordable to eat well and to live well here. And so it creates a very healthy workforce and environment. And what's kind of interesting as well, since everyone's outside all the time, the weather's beautiful. A lot of people walk in the city, you know, they'll, they'll walk five blocks to work or, or they'll, They'll do certain things where they're very active. So the agents here are, are just incredible shape, have the endurance. They're sharp, but they're young. So I'm not saying they're sleeping well. A lot of them go out during the week and they're really enjoying their <laughs> lives, which I'm so proud of. But, uh, you know, there, there's a certain stage of life when you kind of get rid of that phase and you start thinking about maturity in different levels. But it, it's wonderful to see the agents with a fun work-life balance where they all go out together and break bread and, and have fun. And those are the sort of things that really solidify the synergy in the office environment. I got to ask you, because now <clears throat> this is not inherently a political show and we don't talk about it a lot and different stuff, but it seems yeah. to me all you hear about Central America is Nicaragua and some of, some of the other areas that have had problems, the drug cartels, the, the, the things that are involved there. How is it that Costa Rica has been able to avoid all of that? And why don't some of the other countries look at the model that you've created there and duplicate it, duplicate it where they are? Any thoughts on that? Of course. Well, there, there will always be drugs 
and a yes. bad element in a shady part of town where you don't want to go. <laughs> um, but what I've seen here, I guess it's because of the democracy and maybe it's because of the investments, the foreign investments that they really want to take care of the visitors that are here and the business owners. But also collectively, Costa Rica in general has a wonderful culture. They're very proud. And what they have is, is family oriented and they're God fearing. And those are the sort of things, in my opinion, that when people are raised in these multi-generational families where, and there's nothing wrong with it, that they're still living at home with their parents and grandparents. Oh no. They're, they're still coming to work with values and a level head and, and are just, once again, really good kids. And so I just haven't seen that skip a generation. I, I've seen other things happen in regards to their phones and, and certain sort of business ethics where they just leave and jump and things like that without two weeks notices. But, you know, they really just do come to the table as just well-rounded individuals. And when I go out into the countryside, it's amazing how people wave because that's just what they do. If you're walking past certain sort of plantations, people that work there will give you some fruit and wish you well. And I, I've just seen so many sort of things that remind me of the 1950s where neighbors know one another. They ask each other in for coffee. They give the besitos on the mejillas. They give kisses on the cheeks. And, and they're very respectful to their elders. And if society has that sort of foundation where they still are going old school, there's a very good chance we could make it through this sort of time period where things may seem unstable. But I have traveled to Nicaragua. I've been in Panama. I've traveled all across Central America. And I, I believe that the governments not necessarily represent all of the people. They might have the platform to speak on the world stage. But when you go outside of these large cities or you just have a chance to speak with anybody in the small towns, you'd be surprised how everyone is on the same page. And we all just want the same things for ourselves. And I don't have any issues against somebody that we may have fought in World War II or things that might have happened in Central America when I've traveled to Nicaragua for fishing trips or, or to go to Granada or Ometepe. And these were some of the most wonderful experiences I had with incredible people. And I guess it's just me being a guest in their country and keeping an open mind and avoiding the drugs and licking my thumb and counting $100 bills on the street corner at two in the morning. I mean, those are the kind of things, if you're looking for trouble, it's going to find you threefold. Oh, it will. And it, if, it, it if really you will. look for that, you'll do just fine. And so, um, but I've seen it. There is, there is poverty here. And there are certain areas of town where people may not have electricity or running water, and it's not for fault of their own. But I've also seen certain farming communities or communities that live on the river where they're the happiest they've ever been. Children have clean faces, clothes are washed and on the line, but they are living a different type of lifestyle. And to me, in some aspects, it's a healthier lifestyle because they're not shooting and, and fighting for the things that really don't mean anything. Like having a watch does not mean something to someone who's starving. And having that sort of social status on Instagram or Facebook doesn't mean anyone that doesn't have internet connection. But my goodness, if they have a strong back, if they can fish well, if they can take care of their family, everyone's well-fed, kids are going to school, happy marriage. 
10 times better than most people that are sitting on millions that are miserable. You know, that's so interesting. I've seen those sort of things here. My <clears throat> and, and that is, that is so true. Yeah. I think that personally, I think in many ways, the American culture, we've lost something in, in the fact that we don't have multi-general multi-generational families living together by and large. We take the old people and we put them into these homes where they can be together and but we and then we visit them once a month maybe because they don't have any value because they're old uh that in some cultures that doesn't exist and i wish that we were more of that now of course when i was young i was one of those that put grandma in the home uh what you don't but i i think that we have culturally lost something and and i it's and i think that what you're doing what they're doing in costa rica and some and and with the with the families when families are number one religion is number two and and stuff like that it makes a great deal of sense well, let's talk to police for a second a lot of these guys grew up in the neighborhood they're the boys they know everybody <laughs> and so the police when people are coming on to the force they usually ask them what part of town are you from because it's the greatest thing that if you know, you know, Joey growing up and now he's protecting the 10 blocks in the neighborhood, everyone will speak with them. They invite them in. They're proud of their mother. And, and the police here, I'm not afraid of. In fact, they wave to me. I wave back. I thank them for their service. I've never had a problem. Never had a problem. And not saying they're aggressive. They once again need to protect people and need to control situations but for the most part i i've seen people gravitate towards the police very much so here and they're very proud and so i i feel safe when they're around and and when they're not around i still feel safe because i'm not going in bad neighborhoods and and i'm doing the right things but um as i say you you can really it's one family kevin at a time. You can't speak collectively. There's too many people in the United States. But if your own family loves grandma and grandpa and respects one another, then that's the best start you could ever have. Uh, that, is, that is so true. That is so true. And our culture just doesn't do that. And, and, and it's, it's rare that a family, a multi-generational family will still be together. And most of the time it's because somebody doesn't have any money. And so they, they have to do it rather than they choose to do it. And in some cultures, it's just how they are. They, you know, they, they grow up and they grow old and you take care of the old ones and the young ones and all of that. And that, that I think in society in general is a better way for us to be for as humans to take care of each other. I agree. So there. So now that we've solved the world's problems, um, you know, it's, <laughs> and, and so, you know, you are a, um, a, a, now are you still, you, are you a dual citizenship? Are you, you still us or do, are, are you? Oh, I'm, I'm a very proud us citizen and I have my sedua here. I, I have my, uh, my residency here in Costa Rica. Oh, okay. It's called a sedua. And so, yeah, I've had that for 22 years. I got a driver's license here too. And, uh, you know, as I say, I, I follow the rules here. Before I had that, I had to leave every three months because I was on a tourist visa. You only had 90 days. And uh -huh. so for the first couple of years, I took a forced vacation 
for three days. And it was usually in Panama at Boca de Toro to do some snorkeling, or I would go to uh, Rio de San Juan in Nicaragua to do fishing outside of Castillo de la Concepcion. So I was able to take these unbelievable trips a couple times a year and really get to immerse myself into Central America. And then, you know, I realized I was staying here. So I had to, you know, put some roots down and once again, get my certifications and my information and really become part of this Costa Rican culture. Now, I got to ask you, because I, I uh, scuba dived in um, Hawaii, mm-hmm. off of Kauai, and I just loved it. Uh, what's it like to scuba dive off of Costa Rica? Well, I personally can't or, scuba dive because I'd be paranoid under the water. I'm more of a snorkeler. I mean, snorkel. We, we have some amazing scuba diving areas here. In fact, outside of Manuel Antonio is one of the best ones. As long as it's clear down there, you can see everything. And if you go even further south to Playa Ballena during during certain months of August and September, you will see whales out there. And um, But it's beautiful. I mean, it's you can go scuba diving in certain inlets in Golfito and Manuel Antonio where the waters are a little bit easier. But, you know, it, it really just all depends. But the scuba diving industry here is huge and they make a ton of money doing that. And also the sport fishing is big. And so people are really into the water sports. I, myself, I enjoy it. I'll I'll do the deep sea fishing every now and again. I'm just more just for hanging out. And uh, when it came to scuba diving is, I don't know why I, I, I did it in, in Cancun one time, but I was maybe down, maybe six feet under the water, 10 feet under the water, holding on a line. I could always come back up if I wanted to, but this time they wanted to go down deep. <laughs> Once I started going down, I just did not feel comfortable. So I went back, went on the boat, said, you know what? Better to have a panic attack on the boat than down there. And <laughs> just kind of realized my limitations. Did, did you ever notice that the, when you're under the water like that, that we are not very, uh, we can't run very fast under the water and we don't swim very well and, and stuff like that. So, And so there could be somebody who wants to eat you. I suppose uh, down there. Do you, do you, are there a lot of sharks in the in the water down there? I have not heard of many shark attacks here. Oh, well, that's good news. I mean, when I was in Nicaragua, uh, Panama, they were more concerned about the barracudas and, you know, to being careful of touching some of the coral reef because you could hurt yourself there. But the main danger when going into the water in Costa Rica, it's the currents and the undertoes. And unfortunately, there are people that lose their lives and almost on a yearly basis because of so many different factors. But um, to me, I, I really respect Mother Nature and I'm not there to take large risks and I have nothing to prove to anybody. And there are certain signs out there to warn people. And there are beaches where they do not have lifeguards. I, I could recommend five beaches where you could walk for a couple of miles and not see anybody. And so there is a sort of responsibility. If you want to play tropical paradise and you want to go out there, just make sure that, you know, your life is on the line sometimes. And there might not be there someone to help you. And so, you know, if you're going to be trekking in the rainforest, I recommend using rubber boots because you never know. There could be snakes out there. There are spiders. There are certain things that could hurt you. You just you just unsold me from going there, by the way. Oh, calm down and relax. I'm not saying you're going to hurt yourself. But just there's a lot of people that just 
want to do things in a barefoot way or thinking really? that nature is there just like Snow White where you lift your arms out and birds will fly on your hands and start singing to you. And I've learned, and, and especially here, these beautiful frogs that you will see that are little the size of a dime or a quarter that are bright and beautiful that you think you might want to touch and pick up. Those are the things that could kill you. <laughs> so, I mean, you should really be careful of certain plants and animals here, but it's not to scare you, it's to prepare you so you can enjoy your trip. So you know when to keep your distance and what to do. And as I'm mentioning, you're a guest in this country and these are people that grew up with it. So they understand the medicinal plants you could use and the stuff to avoid. And those are the sort of things I ask about. Like when we grew up, you didn't, you knew not to touch poison ivy or, 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 or the oak and stuff that would ruin your skin. Down here, they're telling you things not to touch or not to eat. And yes. those are the sort of things to keep open mind. It's almost like the professor in Gilligan's Island. You know that guy knew exactly what to do. And down here, I'm learning as well on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. But you see, here's the thing is that if there is uh, things that can bother you out there and you're staying overnight inside, they can come inside and get you too. So I just, I'll stay here. Thank you very much. Oh, shake your, your, your shoes, check your pants and stuff that you put on the floor. You have to do this, but you know, in all these years, it's very, very rare that something has been in my shoe. Has it ever happened though? A couple times. <laughs> what was in your shoe? Spiders. Ooh. And one time there was a, uh, a scorpion and, um, but oh, that okay. would have been ugly to put your foot into that and then get Oh, no, you lift it over, you shake it, it falls out, and they're more afraid of you than you are of them. You're 10 times the size. And so, uh, but it's it's a routine that you have. You double check yeah. things. Like people say, when you travel to Mexico, don't drink the water. It's one of the things that you learn. And right. when you're in certain areas of the rainforest, you check your belongings just to make sure you don't have any people that are, you know, traveling with you that you don't know about. And he hangers on, as it were. The, hangers the, on. I don't think. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm too old for that now. I want to. Did I go away there for a minute? Just for a second. It's okay. I kept your audience entertained. Yes, you, <laughs> you did. You did. I'm going to juggle. <laughs> you know? I, I, love, I love that. You didn't miss a beat. You were like, oh, okay, well, he'll be back. Um, <clears throat> apparently, I, I hit the wrong thing there for just a brief moment, but but that's okay. So, um, uh, by the way, we're talking with Richard Blank, and if you want to go down to Costa Rica and work at the Costa Rica Call Center, how do they get a hold of you? No, they can definitely buy a plane ticket and come visit me. They can give me a call, 888-271-6750. Look us up online and check us out on our Facebook fan page where I've put our previous episodes there, and they'll get a real good pulse on the business process outsourcing industry in Central America to see if it is a good fit, and they want to throw their hat in the ring. And this isn't for everyone. I mean, fortune favors the brave. If you're a boxer, you get hit in the chin, and if you... Make telemarketing calls you might get hung up on for a living. But if you can work past that, your potential for your earnings could be limitless. 
and you're really working with a craft that once again is becoming extinct. Most people want to do things via chat or email. I prefer the spoken word. You build the rapport. You can retain a client, get an upsell, get a referral. I mean, there are such better ways to gauge a conversation and a temperature level where you can really get engaged with your client and make it the best experience you can. I'm a firm believer that it's all relationship building and you can't do it via text. You can't do it via email. You can, you can do it by creating a um, conversation and a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. uh, they respect you and you respect them. And, and there's a dance, there's a really cool dance that goes on with that, uh, building that relationship with somebody. And you teach that really well. I do, but I also have to teach endurance. There is monotony to it. Some people can get complacent, bored, burnout, or just not want to do it anymore. And it's almost like whistle while you work. If you can find a way to have a spring in your step while doing something that most people loathe, then there's a very good chance you could master it. And for me, and we've discussed this on your other podcast, that we've done some advanced telemarketing skills and certain soft skills that not only made the job easier, but more fulfilling. And the fact that I was able to expand in my vocabulary, really practice active listening, writing copious notes, learning CRM systems, phone systems, and technology that allowed me to be versatile during COVID where people could work from home and keep me in business. It's always constantly learning. And, you know, as I say, if you can master this skill, you should be able to do any sort of job and be the best at it. And that's, that is so true because communication is, is if you can communicate well, you will do well in anything that you, that you choose to do. And unless it's IT where you don't have to communicate and you're sitting there just learning code and writing code and that kind of thing. Um, but I can't. When I learned something the other day that if there's no sense of urgency, if you really don't need an answer from me right, right, right now, and you're going to allow me to sleep on it, take a walk, think about it. I have come back level-headed. I cut the fat, focused on what needed to be done, better deliveries, understanding your position, wrote that draft while I was concerned, woke up the next day and realized I'm definitely not sending that. <laughs> and I'm glad that in the moment I didn't overextend myself or hold back or say something that I would regret. If someone gives you the luxury of time, take it because most likely you will be able to reset, readjust yourself, come back to that situation, pick up where you left off and represent yourself that much better than you would have at the moment when you're hot headed and you didn't have the sort of patience that you would need in order to once again, keep this relationship where it needed to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, we're talking with uh, Richard Blank. Richard, I want to, I'm going to step aside. And by the way, uh, what, what's your mom and dad's name? My mother's name is Jane. My father's name is Arthur. And I got a big brother named David. Hey, David, Arthur, and Jane, I've got your brother and your son here. He's really cool. <laughs> You just made three fans. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, okay. So, no, but I have a beautiful support group. And yeah. they've, they've always known that I've danced to my own music and my own beat. I've always had honorable intentions, a little bit different. And, you know, my older brother, extremely gifted in regards to his intelligence and his skills scholastically. And David went to Washington and Lee. My father went to 
Columbia business. And the fact that I did not have that sort of maturity to go Ivy League and decided to do the University of Arizona, not study finance, economics, but languages, it was something that looked at me a little askew, but they realized of my passion and that it would make me versatile. I'd be marketable. I could, I could do something with this. And so throughout the years, it was not really the biggest naysayers of not N-O, not knowing. It's just they didn't really understand my direction. And now looking back at it, of course, they were an amazing support group for me. They put me through college and motivated me. But um, once again, I couldn't walk into my father or big brother's footsteps because they were on their own visions and their own journeys. And thankfully, collectively, my family allowed us to express ourselves in, in our own ways. So you went to the University of Arizona? No, oh, I'm a proud Wildcat. I was there for five years. I did a super senior year. I know uh, um, one of my uh, friend's children went there because it had a reputation as a party school. Oh, he yeah. made it one whole quarter. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. super party school. I was in a fraternity as well. I lived in Arizona, Sonora, if anyone who goes to that school. That was the best freshman year. <laughs> Coronado was an all-girls dorm, so you couldn't get caught. And uh, it was just a lot of fun with the green dolphin and the wildcat house and dirt bags. Anyone knows Tucson knows that. But I was fortunate. I was a Spanish communication major. So when I left the classroom, you know, the entire world was my stage. I could speak Spanish. I did an internship for Telemundo in Tucson. So it really built on my momentum and gave me an enormous amount of confidence and experience to put myself out there. And I loved living in the desert. The weather was fantastic. There were 30,000 of the coolest cats that were there. And even the rec center, they were known for their pool and for the gym. I mean, you couldn't have you, It was impossible for you not to be in the best shape, good looking and having the best time of your life when you're in Tucson. And so um, I really felt that that was the perfect place for me to go to school. As it turned out, it worked out very, very well for you because you were able to uh, use a lot of those skills to uh, develop the company that you did in in Costa Rica. Responsibly, in-state tuition during my years was almost like three grand a semester. (laughs) You got to be kidding me. Really? And the cost of living was nothing as well. And so economically... I was saving a fortune. What I did in five years was equivalent to one year, at, let's say Harvard or Lynchburg, or let's just say down in Miami in one of those schools. And so for my family, of course, they loved that. My expensive year was my junior year when I, when I lived in Spain. I was there for two semesters and stayed over Christmas break. And that was literally the best year of my life in my 20s. I was in Europe in 93 and 94. I didn't have a cell phone. Come on, the computers weren't there. I called home once a week. But I had a chance to backpack, sleep on the Eurorail, go to the youth hostels, visit all the greatest ruins and museums of the world, party in the greatest places, meet people from all over the world. And it really built on my humanities and language skills and open-mindedness. And When I came back to the United States, that's when I interned for Telemundo. I raised money for an organization called uh, Casa de los Niños, which is for abused and neglected children. And I just had all this motivation to do more than just what was in the classroom. I had the time. And so I was constantly getting involved with things to, to pay it forward. 
to give it back. And that was my mission. Now, now did you go to Europe alone? I did. I was there a bunch of times prior. I was with my parents to, we, we used to sometimes ski in the winter time and go visit in, in the summertime. So I was very fortunate to go to Europe at least a half a dozen times before that year. So but, oh, yeah. It wasn't was absolutely there. out of the dark, out of the blue, never been there before. I have no idea what to do. And, and so you, 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 because that, that would be a really, really, you know, gutsy thing to be able to do. If Not at all. There. But it was easy for you. No, That's with good. a smile and a handshake and being kind to people, it was an incredible experience. And as I mentioned before, I wasn't going to shady parts of town or getting into trouble. And I was, I was just conservative then. And I was making sure since I was traveling alone to meeting up with other individuals my age, either from the United States or areas where I felt comfortable. And we would go to the hostels together, get on the train together and, and work with each other to protect one another. But when I had to travel alone, I was very astute. I was paying very much attention. I had like a money bag. So my money and passport was tucked in. You know, I, I had a backpack, so I was versatile. I could move quickly. And I tried to memorize the train times and the stations and where to go. And, and back in the day, there was a book called Let's Go before the Internet. So you'd have this big book to tell you where to go in different cities and where to eat and where to travel. And, and I consider that my Bible. And I would never allow my child to do that today at 21. You got to be kidding me. The fact that my parents let me do that, really? <laughs> but I took full advantage of that. And I showed them that I was mature and responsible enough to, A, be on a very limited budget, but also responsible. I came back alive with all my bones intact. But well, you know, it, it, the, the proof of the pudding is that you survived uh, the University of Arizona. And uh, that is uh, uh, a big party school. Let me put it this way. When I was in Amsterdam for a week or at the Pink Palace in Corfu, those were challenges too, my friend. <laughs> I, challenges maybe of a, of a different sort of kind and that kind of thing. But but uh, uh, Richard, it's it's great talking to you. Um, I'm about ready to fall over because it's 100 degrees here and I don't have any air conditioning. So, uh, But it, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We, we need to come back and do this again, shall we? Time just goes so fast, Kevin, of course. Three times a charm, but four. We definitely got to do that. Yeah, we, we will. So you have you. Is there any? Oh, I almost forgot. I would want to step aside and give you the opportunity to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know uh, for now or in the future. Uh, any kernel of wisdom that you have to share? Well, absolutely. That fortune favors the brave that you should follow your dreams. I'm going to be 50 years old next month. So that's my halfway point. It's a really good realization and a checkpoint in time. And when I look back at my decades, sure, you have certain regrets that you did things. But the fact that I planted certain seeds that were able to grow over time in regards to languages and confidence and adventure and life experience, I'm, I'm so happy that I took these risks and made these decisions because I don't get a second chance now. That's my report card of my first half of my life. You can grade me on some things, but other things I think I did exceptionally well. And so um, I'm very content to where I am today. And as long as your audience can feel that way about themselves and realize that there are certain stages, you, you think differently as you did in your teens, as you did in your 20s to now almost 50. 
And, and I have to respect and understand where I was at that stage in life. And that's okay. As long as you continue to grow and you know that you're getting better. And now that you and I are the wise ones with our beards and our gray hairs, we need to pass this wisdom by the fireside. We need to show our battle scars and what it took to get here so we can pass that along so individuals can take those shortcuts and avoid those situations or expand on the things that have worked for us. And so that would be my advice for you and your amazing audience today. And uh, that's why we have people like you on who can provide us with uh, just a little bit of advice on, on how to, how to, uh, how to live your life. And I agree with you. You have got, well, you don't have to do anything, but if you want to live your life fulfilling and being fulfilled as best that you can live it fearlessly, um, follow your passion, follow your heart, do yes. the right thing, be kind, be generous, be helpful. And, and you can, then you can be anything you choose. Um, and remember and, to eat your vegetables. You got to be healthy. <laughs> and especially what you do is you put them in a blender and eat them for breakfast. That's, <laughs> that's, what, you, that's what you do. So in any event, Richard, it's always a pleasure. And uh, pleasure. I, I wish you the best uh, and, and the best time that you're having. Are you, are you planning a, a, is somebody planning a great big 50th birthday party for you? My amazing wife is going to take me to Tabacone Resort, which is by Lake Aranao. It's an amazing hot springs with gardens. Oh, cool. And so we're going to go escape for a couple of days and enjoy ourselves. Good for you. It's always it's always good that you can, at, at 50, still say you have an amazing wife. That, that, that's, that's really quite helpful. And had to be done. Had to be done. That's right. And, and it, so next time we're going to talk about her and all that kind of good stuff. But oh, one want... last thing. It's a shame because down here we can't get good ice cream cakes. If I were back home, I'd be asking for a Carvel cookie puss, please. Yeah. That's what I would want. Indeed. Indeed. So there's no Dairy Queens down there? No. And you can get some stuff, but there's nothing like a cookie puss. And you and I That's... both know that. Exactly. Exactly. Richard, thank you so much. And if you stay right there, I'll be right to bake. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.